This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, George Toman talks about faith, reason, and prudence during the times we're living in. And now, here's George Toman. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the One Body Show here on Divine Mercy Radio. My name is George Toman, and as always, it is an honor and a pleasure to be on the air again with you today. In light of our conversation that we will have today, um, I ask that we begin with prayer. So if you would please join me wherever you may be at. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, into this moment. Come, fill our hearts with thy love. Blessed Lady, be with us this day, be with us in this moment, and help guide our hearts to do Thy Son's will, entrusting to You this broadcast, this moment, we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with Thee. Blessed art Thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of Thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is George Tolman, and for those of you who are new to the program, I thought I'd give a quick little introduction of to who I am. I am an educator by training. I'm a school psychologist. I graduated from Fort Hay State University in 2014, and from 2012 to 2014, I had the, the very fortunate and blessed experience to be part of the Campus Center there in Hayes, Kansas. Um, at the time with with Father Fred Gatchett and got a chance to learn a lot from him and, and also get to do a lot of things with the other students that were there at the Campus Center attending at that time. And that was also when I was exposed, if you will, um, to the beauties of Catholic Radio and got a chance to contribute to the station. And, and ever since, probably 2012, 2013, every now and then I've hopped on the radio and and uh, recorded a couple shows, and so I'm very thankful for the opportunity that Divine Mercy Radio gives me every now and then to contribute to the program. And like I said, I'm very thankful to be on the air with you to share ideas about our faith, share things that I believe are real important, and, and provide um, some kind of input into what we're seeing in the world today. And today's talk is no different. Um, in fact, it kind of has a little somber tone to it, and I'll get into that for a little bit. But before I begin, I, I, I wanted to quickly share that with anything dealing with the Catholic faith, it's always important to remember the authorities who, who teach us the faith and to remember um, what the authority comes from, comes from God himself. And so we have things like the catechism, we have the scriptures um, to help inform us of what to do. But at the end of the day, um, the virtue uh, of being obedient to our, our bishops and, and our leaders in times of trial is very important. And today is no different, even though it might be a little bit difficult. And so I need to give a little bit of context, I feel, before I get into the main depth and breadth of my talk, because otherwise I think it's not going to make any sense if you listening listen to this on a later time. But I'm recording this talk in March of 2020, and right now we are going through a very significant uh, crisis in the country. One that is impacting all of us, whether we like it or not. Um, it deals with the coronavirus and its manifestation of COVID-19 and its impact on the elderly and those of underlying conditions. And the visual that I think is, is very rampant today about how much 
panic and fear and anxiety we have as a society is found when you go into a store, you can't find any toilet paper. That's all gone. And people are stocking up on that toilet paper because they are afraid that if they were to ever catch the the virus and and have to self-quarantine for any reason, they don't want to run out of toilet paper. That's That's a pretty essential thing. And so... I was just at the store this morning, uh, went to Walmart and, and one other place and literally could not find a roll of toilet paper uh, other than maybe the bathroom, I guess, but I didn't go check there. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of panic, a lot of fear, and a lot of people in America and around the world, you can see it. Uh, the beauty of technology is, is we can communicate with other parts of the globe instantaneously. And one thing that I think is pretty common is we're, we're seeing it right now is there's just a lot of universal panic over the coronavirus and what our future holds. And and I think, though it is important that we take things seriously, especially that of a healthcare matter that, that could very well balloon on us very quickly if we're, not, if we're not mindful of what we do, I also think it's really important to, to remember, you know, what are we doing on the sense of God and faith to help us get through these times? And the beauty of the Catholic faith, ladies and gentlemen, is that the faith gives us answers to days like today. It may not say in scripture or in the catechism, hey, coronavirus, look up John 3.16, even though I would argue looking up that verse might help put context into what into, into what the good Lord is trying to prepare us for. It doesn't say it specifically, but there's implicit knowledge that we get through the ministry of the church to help us understand these times. And so for today's radio talk, I want to focus on two things. The first is looking at the component of faith and reason, human reason. Why are they important to see together and not separated? Hopefully I'll give a couple examples and connect that to our day. But also, I also want to look at the virtue of prudence. And we'll look right at the catechism, we'll quote it directly, and then we'll explore it together. And hopefully by the end of this 45 minutes to the hour, we'll have some further understanding of how the beauty of our Catholic faith can be applied to what we're seeing today. How can we answer with confidence this pandemic? And right now I'm going to tell you it's not completely abandoning God and it's not completely just saying God will take care of it, don't do anything else. Just like with all good things that are virtue, there's a middle ground. And the middle ground here is taking our faith well-developed, and our human reason and putting them together. And hopefully we'll come to some conclusion about that to help us out, as I anticipate that for some of you listening to this program, you might be self-quarantining for the sake of your own safety. And so I just wanted to share this message to you, as I believe it's an important one. It's already been shared in some circles. Um, but the more that we can get the word out, the more that we can hopefully counter the fear and anxiety associated with today with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing I want to quickly point out is that in times of great trial, our Lord desires the greatest victory. Let me say that again. In times of great trial, our Lord desires the greatest victory. My question to you is, will we let him? Will we let him have his victory? And that's easier said than done, obviously. But it's something that I would like for us to ponder throughout this talk today. I think, in fact, I I could argue just from conversations and what I've read, that we are in an unprecedented moment of history. 
not because the coronavirus that's currently impacting our communities is very deadly. It's not a very deadly virus. It does kill people, and that's something that we want to be sure that we recognize. But the amount of fear and panic that it has brought through the people has maybe been unheard of. Again, I don't remember a time in my life, and I'm 30 years young, I don't remember a time where toilet paper cannot be found in your local stores within a week because everyone took literally all the supplies and the reserves. I don't remember a time like that. And that visual of not having any toilet paper is a great visual of how people are responding to this crisis, how they're responding to this pandemic. And I think it's really important for us, especially in these times, to remember where is God in all of this? Where is God in this coronavirus? Where is God in our society that is right now very much confused, anxious, and unsure of what the future holds? Mind you, this coronavirus, even as I talk here, I just got an email on my phone not too long ago after starting the broadcast that has been recommended that all masses be suspended here in the state of Nebraska, as well as all schools shutting down for at least two weeks, effective, uh, I believe, March 23rd, um, and then going on two weeks from that. So we'll be right around Easter time, right when we can hopefully get back into schools and, and also hopefully get back into some large gatherings for mass. But regardless of, of all of that, I do think that there's that there's something to be said about how we are looking at the situation and how we are entrusting God to help take care of it for us. And the faith and reason component, the faith and human reason combination, I think is very huge for us to come to some peace and understanding. And so let's go ahead and start about what does that mean for us? Now, I will say from a credential standpoint, I'm not a theologian. I'm not an ex-seminarian. Um, I have read a lot of Catholic books. I've been in a lot of different studies. Um, I've been on, on a lot of different retreats. And so uh, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily a teacher of the faith, if that makes sense. Um, but I do have a little bit of insight based on what the church teaches. And this is something that universally I hope that we would we would know and one of the reasons why I'm sharing it to you. And that universal understanding with faith and reason is this. Faith and human reason are designed to complement one another. So regardless if you're facing a little decision to a very big life-changing decision, your ability to use your faith to help inform your reason, which will then help enlighten your faith, will be able to help you make the right decision and help you give you peace in terms of whatever you're doing. So let me give you an example of of what this looks like. With the faith and human reason debate, let's even look at it from the science realm, because there's a lot of talk even amongst um, scientists about the interplay between faith and, and science. And there's some people that believe that science is directly opposed to faith, and faith is directly opposed to, to science. And I'm here to tell you that is not the Catholic Church's teaching. I don't know where that really stemmed from, other than some of the political ideologies we've had back in the days. But the church does not see faith and science as separate entities. In fact, the church sees science being a good means to help complement faith and faith being a very good means to help keep science in its proper context. And so, for instance, let's take a look from a faith and science perspective, the common cold. So from a science perspective, 
our human reason informs us and has done a very good job of doing this over the last hundred years, and even before that, to know what the common cold is, how it manifests, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like, what it does to the human body, how to prevent it, how to treat it. All those things is what science tells us, human reason. And we know quite a bit about it. What science doesn't tell us about the cold, though, is at the end of the day, what does this cold do to impact my salvation, impact my soul, impact things that cannot be defined merely by scientific terms, such as the concept of love, trust, etc.? Those are things that you can't put under a microscope. So how does the cold impact those things, or does it impact it at all? And our church provides an answer to that. So, for example, with the cold, the common cold here in this case, we know that our bodies, both physically and mentally probably, are weakened. They're not at 100% efficiency. Well, our faith tells us that whenever we are not at 100% efficiency, we always turn to God. In fact, we turn to God in everything, but especially in times that we are weak. Because when, because when we are weak, God is strong. He's always proven to be that way. And so one of the things that we tell our youth and, and tell others is the common phrase, offer it up. And the reason why behind that is because as science tells us, this is what the cold is and this is what it does. It does not inform us on our spiritual life. And that's what the faith tells us. And the faith tells us that when you're not at 100% ability, turn to God even more so than you have in the past, because he will provide you another answer. So once you've exhausted all of your scientific remedies, Offer the rest to God. And that's with anything with the human with the human reason and faith dynamic. You exercise human reason to the greatest extent appropriate, and then when it doesn't work anymore, you turn to faith. Or if you've exhausted all of your answers, you turn to faith and surrender to the mystery of faith. We do that with our saints. We have something in the Catholic Church with sainthood that as you are in the canonization process or the beatification process, whatever the case may be, there has to be an associated miracle. And in that miracle, once it's documented, there are people at the Vatican who specifically do their very best to prove that the miracle was due to human means and not one of God. It's called the devil's advocate. And that individual's job is that whenever there is a supernatural sign to try to debunk it with a human answer. And if the human answer is not good enough, the congregation that assist in the the makeup of determining if someone can be verified a saint or not says human reason is not enough. We have to rely to faith and therefore this miracle is legitimate. Give you the prime example, the great John Paul, the, the, the great St. John Paul, the great, I should say he was one who suffered Parkinson's near the end of his life. There was a religious uh, sister, a nun who also had Parkinson's and went in front of the Blessed Sacrament and said, Lord, I offer this to you with the intercession of Saint John, or John Paul II. Please heal me, be it your almost holy will. And guess what happened? It did. And so that case went to the Vatican, and they did a lot of different um, consulting with, with different scientists and different medical personnel and, and questioned the nun and others um, religiously to try to get down to the bottom of it. And they could find out there was no human answer to why this nun was healed other than the simple fact that she prayed in front of our Lord Jesus Christ at the intercession of John Paul II and all of a sudden was healed. 
that's the sign of a miracle. Surrendering all of our human reason, that's not a good enough answer, so then we turn to faith. But notice how they complement one another. As our human reason grows, so does our faith grow. And as our faith grows, the more that our human reason has the ability to see the things of God. So with all that said, let's talk about the times of today. Why is this important for today? Well, folks, when we're thinking about coronavirus, when we're thinking about things that are impacting our world, not just our country, but our world, it is important that we use our human reason and exhaust it so that we can truly get down to what we need to do to help one another. And the Centers for Disease Control and many other health experts have, have said it very clearly. Social distancing. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. If you are feeling sick, especially if you're showing symptoms of fever, sore throat, etc., do not be afraid to, to give the hospital a call. We might need to give you a test to see if you are positive for, for the coronavirus, and don't be fearful of that. Human reason tells us that these are the things that can help us prevent and mitigate future trials, future heartaches, future burdens. And so we should do them. But at the end of the day, how can we explain the fear? How can we explain the anxiety, etc.? Well, we can explain it via faith. And here's how. As we've exhausted all of our remedies in terms of helping coronavirus and preventing it, and we still get it, or we're still seeing an impact in our world about it, what we need to do then is that we need to look to God and we need to say, God, I don't know what's going on. I've exhausted everything I know from my mind. I trust in you that you know what's going on and that you will be the victor. Praise be to you. I surrender and give this to you at the foot of the cross. Amen. And the faith then, that component informs us that at the end of the day, who is the ultimate one in control? It's God. But he asks us, do your part in this world. Do your part. Because trusting in God makes no sense if you just simply say, well, God's going to protect me, so I'm going to, as infected, go out and go out to this very highly populated area. God's going to protect them too. No, no, that's not how it works. God entrusts us to take that human reason and use, put it to good use. And because of that, our faith will be enlightened as to why he is giving us to this day the permission to have this coronavirus and other things impact our country and our world. And even if we're not able to see it in the short term, we will be able to see it long term. And I will argue from a long term perspective, one of the things where we can see God in this coronavirus is the very fact that we need to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be mindful of how we can help one another. And that at the end of the day, material things cannot satisfy us to its full extent as we think they will. So with the coronavirus, as we're starting to see our shelves be completely empty, whereas we've had a constant exposure to convenient grabbing of things over and over again, we're now taking a greater appreciation of to what stuff is and what valuable stuff that we should have. I think also with this coronavirus, as it continues to impact families and others, I think it will give us that very human reminder of the impact of what suffering can do to help unite people together. We're seeing some really great stories across the country of people banding together to support one another. And so the coronavirus, though it, it can destroy, it can kill, we are seeing people overcome that by being more united. And that is a Catholic concept. Suffering properly understood brings to unity. 
because the suffering is that offered by Christ on the cross, and that cross is what unifies us. We are a religion of the cross. And so that unification of our suffering to the cross then provides the virtues and the virtues of caring for one another, being courageous, being prudent, being te- having temperance, justice, love, faith, hope. All of those things come into play when our sufferings go to God because God has taken those sufferings and changed them so that at the end of the day, the victory will be Christ and His Immaculate Mother. Again, in times of great trial, our Lord desires the greatest victory. And so with all that said, we take a look now at the virtue of prudence. Now, the virtue of prudence, I'm just going to define directly from the catechism, and then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll finish our talk with a discussion on the virtue of prudence. Because again, I think with a combination of faith and reason, and also understanding the virtue of prudence, we'll come down to an understanding of how we can address the times. And so this is Article 1806 of the Catechism, 1806, and here's the definition of prudence. Prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. The prudent man looks where he is going. Keep sane and sober for your prayers. Prudence is right reason in action, writes St. Thomas Aquinas, following Aristotle. It is not to be confused with timidity or fear, nor with duplicity or dissimulation. It is called the charioteer of the virtues. It guides the other virtues by setting rule and measure. It is prudence that immediately guides the judgment of conscience. The prudent man determines and directs his conduct in accordance with this judgment. With the help of this virtue, we apply moral principles to particular cases without error and overcome doubts about the good to achieve and the evil to avoid. That's quite a bit there. But I'll let that sink in. We'll take a quick little break. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, the One Body Show, and we'll be back with more of an explanation on what prudence is and how it can help us in our times today. Welcome back to the One Body Show. When we left for break, we were talking about the um, the cardinal virtue of prudence, and I provide the definition, which is directly quoted from par- um, Article 1806 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, or excuse me, uh, paragraph 1806. Use the proper language there. And we went through the definition, but I want to break it down. So let's begin um, from the get-go. Prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. In times of today where there is great fear, great anxiety, the virtue of prudence is a very important one. In fact, it's one that I believe that we should pray for if we do not have it. Because having prudence helps us understand why masses might be canceled. Prudence helps us understand why we may not have large gatherings, that make us very comfortable. Prudence helps us understand why it could be rational to think of closing down schools and doing a bunch of other things that may be a little bit abnormal 
compared to our everyday life. Being prudence is the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance. So again, by praying and asking for the virtue of prudence to grow, we're able to see things in its proper perspective. That's what this is saying right here. St. Thomas Aquinas, I love his definition. It's a lot simpler, and also I think it really hits home. Prudence is right reason and action. So folks, though I do not like the thought that public masses are to be canceled, if there is good reason to believe from our conscience, from our ability to discern using our human reason, that large gatherings could very well spread this con- this contagion to a lot of other places and then really impact our capacity to help those in need. If we can remove it in light of the laws of the church, then let's temporarily remove it. And that's what has happened. Now, I want to also say that from a historical perspective, having the mass available to us every day to receive communion is an absolute blessing. It is an absolute privilege and blessing that we have. It is not a mandate. In the early church, if you had any kind of sequence of events like this, where you had mass every single day, you'd be thrown in jail or probably killed, more likely killed, and probably by, you know, the face of a lion or something like that, like perpetual infelicity. There were times where mass was only offered certain times of the year and communion offered to the faithful certain times of the year. In fact, if you remember, there's a precept in the Catholic Church that says that we are to receive communion at least once every year, particularly in the Easter season. That is one of the laws of the church. And why does that law exist? Why doesn't it say all year? Well, there's an implication for the commandments that we do worship God all year. But in terms of the sacrifice of the Mass and providing communion, the precept exists because there were times where the only time communion could be offered was in the Easter season. Otherwise, it wasn't available. There were times where you'd be some villager or some farmer 7,500 miles away from the closest church in days that we didn't have trucks or cars or airplanes. And so how could you get to Mass and receive? You had to make literally a weak commitment to get to Mass. And so that precept of the church says that to maintain our our community to one another, we will have the opportunity for communion to exist, and it must be in the Easter season at least. And so there were times in the church where our brothers and sisters in Christ only could go to Mass so many times. Because of the simple fact of the lack of priest or, or the potential for, for persecution and other things. So in other words, folks, this is not unheard of territory. The church has also been very familiar with plagues. We've had stories of, of popes who would literally make great big bonfires in the hopes of taking away all the plagues and the, or excuse me, all the fleas that would bring all the plagues and there'd be huge bonfires and those bonfires would be used to again, get rid of those fleas. And then when all of that was over, then they'd be able to have mass or Eucharistic procession or something like that. So the modern day notion that we'd have mass all the time is in in fact not one that existed in the full history of the church and again it's a complete blessing as to why we have mass it's a complete blessing why we have the daily opportunity for communion but using prudence we realize look if there's 57 of us in a in a small setting and one of us has this coronavirus and we know through our human reason that it's going to spread and infect people and they probably won't show symptoms until two and a half three weeks later or that they don't show symptoms, they're still infected and will infect other people that could very well be affected by this virus. Is it really that smart to play? Do we have any room there to, to, to not have to 
to, to deal with that. And the church gives us that through our leaders. Now, with all that said, I am also, I will say, just as a lay Catholic, opposed to the complete abandonment of the sacraments. And so one of the things that um, I give our leaders a lot of credit is that even though public participation in the Mass is going to be canceled, priests are still praying Mass for their people. And that's very important. The sacrament still exists, except it's not in public view. And so uh, for some people, they just want to see it completely eradicated. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't get what this means. Public participation is is canceled and postponed, but the private participation done by the priests, they will still be seeing mass per day as obligated um, via their ordination. But nonetheless, we still have the mass offered, it just won't be public. And so that's where we can um, ask our pastor, I'm sure he's already praying for you, but if you have any particular intentions, reach out to him via email or letter and just say, hey, Father, in this time that we have this cancellation of mass, this postponement of masses, can you offer this at the altar? Uh, for my intentions, maybe for a specific person or whatnot during this time. And I'm sure your priest would be very happy um, to hear you out and more than likely will accept your offer. But again, that shows you where prudence comes into place because now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. It makes sense why we would take this unfortunate time to disband in all the public all the public masses, but then turn them into private masses where the priest says in, in for all the all of his people, how it used to be done back in the old days, because of the simple fact that we're dealing with um, a very uh, viral, a highly contagious virus. But without prudence, we don't see that. Without prudence, we might lean on justice a lot. <laughs> And go, oh, we're all damned now because all of a sudden no masses, public masses means we're all going to hell, which I know there's some people who believe that. And that's not true at all. The virtue of prudence will help us understand that, look, this is a necessity for now. It's not going to be that way forever. It's just going to be right now. And so it's really important for us to embrace that virtue and grow from it and also inform other people about what to do. So I'm going to go back to the toilet paper example with the virtue of prudence. I don't believe that it is prudent to stock up on six to seven packages of toilet paper when you're a single guy like me. Why would you do that? That's basically enough to hold you for five to six months, if not more. Why would you do that? That's not a prudent thing to do. A prudent thing would do is that if you're someone like me, who's a single guy, who, who doesn't have a family to, to directly care for, I'd much rather see families who have three, four, five, six kids, an elderly couple who might need a lot of toilet paper just for the sake of their dietary and digestive needs. Let them have access to it first before we get to me. And yes, we need to have, obviously, a good number of rolls stacked away for a couple weeks. That I'm not saying completely banding on toilet paper, you know, and, and you, know, you know, start using the faucet or something. That, 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 that's not prudent either. But to be very, very irregular and irrational in our thought process, that is not being prudent. Prudence tells us also that if I do have a large family, and if I do have a lot of responsibilities within that family, I better stock up appropriately, which might mean seven or eight packages of toilet paper. That's the prudent thing to do. To only have one or two for the sake of your family for two to three weeks, knowing full well that you might use a full package within a week, I'm sorry, that's not a prudent thing to do. You're going to put your family in harm's way, at least in that sense. So I hope you're understanding what I'm getting at here with this concept of, of, of prudence. 
that when it's properly done, we're able to see the light of the times. Now, with all of that in terms of deciding our action, here's the other prudent thing to do. The prudent thing to do, thinking about faith and reason, is not to jump to conclusions and start in eliciting fear in other people based on faulty information. If you don't know a certain answer to a certain question, it is completely appropriate to say, I don't know. But it is wrong, thinking of the virtue of prudence, to just simply provide an answer based on your feeling and emotions without backing with truth. So give you an example. If you were to say that the coronavirus can't infect people or has a low rate of infecting people, that's not being prudent. That's kind of a straight out lie. The truth is, is that this thing has a lot of power behind it and a lot of ability to spread. Now, again, is it as lethal as things like whooping cough and polio and cancer and addiction, those kind of things? No, not even close. But it does have the power to impact things a lot. And so we have to respect that, which means that's the prudent thing to do is to respect it. But in context, coronavirus does not give us the means to have complete anxiety or fear. Prudence tells us that we will do what we can to take care of us. And so those who have who have been entrusted to our care has said it's probably important to stock up food for at least one to two weeks. Be sure that you have all the necessities in line. Be mindful of your neighbor as well, because some might need a little more um, than others. But nonetheless, be mindful and prepare yourself accordingly. Wash your hands of antibacterial soap. If you don't have that, use use out use alcohol with at least seventy percent in it. The the moisturizer, use that. Don't touch your face. Social distance as much as possible, which is why the cancellation of masses are occurring across the country. Schools are closing down. Use that knowledge, that human reason, to help you out. But the prudent thing to do in that whole situation is to remember that at the end of the day, you may not be able to control the spread completely as you would like, but you can offer to God the things that you can't. And even if you are infected with, with the coronavirus and it, and it transforms into COVID-19, it's important that you pray to God and ask, all right, I surrender to your will. Whatever it be done, it be done. And that's the mark of the Christian. The mark of the Christian is when they're able to say, Lord, thy will be done. I've exhausted all my human remedies. Thy will be done. And then we go from there. And I promise you, folks, God will bless you. Because again, remember, in great trial, Christ desires the greatest victory. And so he desires to be with us in this moment. Our Lord and Savior desires to be within the suffering. Our Lord and Savior desires that he be with us as we are suffering, as we are in agony, as we are in fear. So he can turn all of those things into their proper thing. So rather than having fear, we love. Prime example of this. We've had multiple cases where there would be kids who would look at their grandparents and go, I'm really scared about what's happening with this coronavirus. And grandma and grandpa say, well, why are you worried about it? It's okay. It doesn't impact you as much as much as others. And the kid will say, but yes, I'm afraid it'll impact you, grandpa. I'm afraid it'll impact you, grandma. That's why I'm so scared. That's fear. So how do you transform that? You say, sweetie, thank you so much for loving me and I love you too. And remember that our Lord and Savior loves us more than you and I combined. So let's trust in Him. Let's trust in Him that I won't get sick, that you won't get sick. Even if you do, we'll still love our Lord. We'll still love Him and He'll still love us. He'll guide us through this, I promise you. Can we do that? Let's pray. 
And all of a sudden, that kid has confidence. That fear that was once with the kid about loving you and fearful that you might get hurt, all of a sudden, now that kid realizes, oh, those older than me have faith that God's going to do something powerful with them. And they hear that message and they embrace it, and then they trust God more. One thing I do recommend from a practical standpoint is if you're out at a restaurant, if you're out at Walmart, if you're out at Safeway, whatever the case may be, be sure to thank those who are working. They're on the front lines, folks. They're on the front lines of getting some of this stuff. And they're there working because they need to for the sake of their own paychecks. Thank them because they probably haven't been thanked. They probably haven't been given a little bit of love in a while. A lot of people probably yelled at them. And so thank them for what they do. That's transforming that fear into love. Again, the greatest fear that humanity has ever faced, or at least initially, those who were faithless, I should say, or had little faith, they saw that innocent man on a cross and he died. He was completely innocent, crucified, and he didn't know what to do. That caused a lot of fear. And then that fear even got more manifested when all of a sudden his disciples, of whom they loved him and he loved them, the fear of seeing him resurrected, going, I cannot believe this is true. And what did our Lord Jesus Christ do? He turned it into love. He turned it into a lovable moment. So the apostles that, 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 that first saw our Lord resurrected, their fear was quickly changed into love. But Thomas was fearful. He was fearful because he thought this could not be true. So guess what? Until I see the wounds in his hands... The wounds in his feet and the, and, the, and the wound in his side. Therefore, I will believe. And what does our Lord do? He takes that fear and he changes it into love. He invites St. Thomas and he says, Thomas, come here. And he grabs his hand. He says, touch my hands, touch my feet, touch my side. Do you now believe? And then Thomas bows down and says, my Lord and my God. The reverential love that he has now. And our Lord desired to be close to Thomas transforming that fear into love. And that's what we're called to do here. All of us are in our own little way, whether it be social media or light conversations or sometimes even bigger. We are called to love. And that's what understanding the virtue of prudence does. By being prudent, we understand we need to find the love. We need to find the love. It is right reason put to action. We need to love. That's the answer for today. Yes, it sounds really, really basic, I'm sure. And for some of us, I know you're like, oh, George, come on, really? But I mean it. It's a very simple thing, but it's something that we're missing a lot of today. There's a lot of love missing in this world. And one of the reasons why people stock up on toilet paper, the reason why people go into complete anxiety with some of this stuff is because they're fearful, especially for those for whom they love. And as long as we love them, as long as we provide that love to the world, we will get through these times and our Lord will reward us for that because he will see the work that we are doing. He will see the faith in which is sprouting up for us due to the actions that we have caused and he will go, all right, I will bless these people. That's what he did all the time in the Old Testament. He does it perpetually in the new. He desires to love. And so again, in summary for today's talk, you take that component, faith and human reason, they're together. Human reason helps inform faith, which then faith helps keep human reason in its proper place and truly enlightens it into the gospel message. The virtue of prudence. The reason why we need to have that virtue, especially today, is because to be prudent to do something 
means that we're going to be able to then see things for what they really are. And by seeing for things for what they really are, we're going to realize that one, how to counter fear is to love. How to reduce anxiety is to give truth. How to reduce people not seeing God is to act like God in our love towards one another. And to conclude, I'm going to say a phrase that might be a little challenging to you, but I really believe it. Going back to the phrase I said, in times of great difficulty, of great trial, our Lord desires the greatest victory. Think about this moment as a time to evangelize. I'm not saying go Bible thump different houses, okay, and talking about the gospel. But why don't you tell your family member that you love them? Why don't you tell your kids that it'll be okay and that you love them? Tell your priests, your religious, that you're really close to, I love you. Thank you for what you do. Go to an absolute stranger, like at Walmart, who is stressed out beyond belief because they're having to deal with all the negativity of others and go to them and say, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you so much. And watch their face. Watch the possible tears welling up in their eyes because you have touched them with God. And in times of great fear where the evil one desires us to crumble under the pressure, the reason why we have that cross, folks, the reason why we have our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us is that in these moments of fear, we give it great love. We give it great love to counter it. And I promise you, as we do that, little by little, the media may never pay attention. Many others may not pay attention. Some of us might even think we're fools, but that's okay. Be fools for Christ, right? Be fools for Christ. We be Christ-like to others. We show them that love. All of a sudden, we've helped bring the gospel. We've helped bring light into a dark place. And that's what we need the most of today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's what I want to leave you with as I also conclude with prayer. We give this to God in His proper sense. We give it to God in the sense of love. And love is in action. It's a decision. And so let's go ahead and do that. Because in these times of great trial, we need to give our Lord the opportunity for the great victory. And that comes for the victory of love. And so to conclude our talk for today, first off, I thank you for listening to the radio station. I thank you for listening to this broadcast and contributing to Catholic Radio with your attention and also your donation if you're able. But now let's give a glory be to the Holy Trinity, thanking Him and and entrusting Him in this moment to our care and to our health. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God bless you, my friends. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.